Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Everyone, this is Patrick. Thank you for tuning into the episode this week. Lawrence Reed is the president of Fee and has also written a number of books, but his most recent book that came out in the last few weeks is Render Under Caesar. Was Jesus a Socialist? He's my guest today. Larry was on about 18 months ago, and it was an incredible interview. He's so smart and well-read, but also can articulate his perspective well. I realize that we're in some challenging times right now, and I hope you guys are thriving. I think I see so much opportunity all around us to do good, to build our business, to adjust things in our personal lives uh, for the better. And so hopefully you guys are taking advantage of that. Make sure you go to the website, thewellstandard.com. We have a new resource section that has a lot of the programs, the book recommendations, and other free courses and digital material. So it's a resource section of thewellstandard.com. Additionally, all of the show notes are there from this episode, including a link to Larry's new book, which is available on Kindle, as well as uh, paperback format. So make sure you check that out. Also, his organization, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, it is FEE, F-E-E dot org. All right, everyone, hope you guys learn something from this relatively short interview compared to our last one. But Larry has a perspective that I know that if you had it, you would think differently. And hopefully you guys, regardless of the subject matter, as well as the context, because it's religious in nature, don't overlook this episode because there's a lot of good principles and values in there, regardless of what your faith is. So hopefully you guys benefit from it. And thanks for connecting too. head over to, to YouTube. The episode is on YouTube as well. And also subscribe to uh, the podcast if this is your first time listening, as well as the YouTube channel. And also follow us on social media. We're posting uh, quite a bit there and connecting with the audience. So we'd love to have you subscribe. Taking a break from the show, you know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. 
Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango. Thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Larry, thanks for joining me today. You know, it's hard to believe that it's been almost 18 months since we did the last interview. It seems like yesterday. I was one of the favorites that I had in my memory, right? As I think back on some of the meaningful conversations I've had. But thank you for joining us. I'm really excited for the conversation. Thank you, Patrick. It's my pleasure. And I remember that program we did in January of last year very fondly. It's on my website, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I appreciate helping me get the word out there. Larry, so much has changed <laughs> since, since January of 2019. And what I thought would be interesting before we get into this, I would say, semi-controversial subject is set some context. Yes. Uh, right now, I have two teenage daughters in my house. And it's interesting the conversations you have and how much debate exists. And where I've gone to is not trying to prove that I'm wrong or put my fist down with authority, but it's to understand them at a deeper level and where they're coming from not assuming that they know what I know, have experienced what I've experienced. And it totally changes the dynamic of conversation. I wanted to pick your brain just briefly so we can set some context for the controversial subject of wealth and inequality. And specifically, your new book, you know, Was Jesus a Socialist? You know, Rendering Unto Caesar. <laughs> Very <laughs> controversial. But what are your thoughts as you've experienced, I would say, not the mainstream stance on economics, on political policy, economic policy? Where do you stand with having meaningful debate and conversation, especially with somebody that has an opposing point of view? Yes. Great question, Patrick. And I think you're taking the right approach with your daughters, especially at a young age, young people who always have a little spirit of rebellion in them and a sense of idealism. If you come across as, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, and you just take what I give you and make it your opinion, that almost never works. But if you show that you're open to a differing view, but still firm in your own, and uh, even take a bigger picture approach, also interested in whatever uh, truth may lead you to, I think you're in the long run more likely to have an influence, positive influence over anybody, your daughters and anybody else. And sadly, these days, I think in academia, there's not the emphasis on critical thinking skills that there was uh, when I was a student. There's so many in academia today who basically uh, act in the classroom as if they've got a monopoly on proper viewpoint and on things like compassion or caring for other people. And their purpose is to indoctrinate rather than to inspire and to educate and encourage students to think for themselves. That's very unfortunate. That is not going to serve students well in later life. It never does. Can't. Well, I look at you know, the conversation we're about to have and how much of that is being had. However, the, the levels of depths that that conversation gets to is very shallow. And I believe, you know, with the conversations I get to have with people that, you know, just a couple levels deeper, I believe that there is tremendous wisdom there. So today, the reason why I wanted to start with that, and this is for the audience, is not to take a stance on, you know, we're right and you're wrong. And if you have a differing opinion, it's to say, I recognize, understand that there are all opinions out there. And I take a stance of, I may be wrong. I may be stating something that may have a different perspective and information that I have not been privy to. And that's why I try to bring on experts like Larry so I can understand 
my own beliefs uh, better and question them so that I can make better decisions. I can live a more meaningful life because I believe that you know the more wisdom that you have, the better decisions you're going to make and the better outcomes that you're going to have. So Larry, let's kind of get into this idea of inequality. And I said, sent you some questions in advance. You take a look at the fact that there is inequality and it's something that there are some pretty strong positions on both sides. Like what does inequality mean mean to you? And maybe in the context of the book that you just wrote. Okay. Yeah, there is a kind of um, equality that I'm all in favor of. I think we all should be in favor of, and that's equality before the law. The law should be impartial. It should not render judgments against people uh, for or against based upon irrelevant criteria, but rather whether or not you did it whether or not you deserve it or whatever. But economic equality is what's in the news so much these days, and that's the kind of equality I talk about in the book. There are a lot of people who claim that economic inequality, differences in income and material possessions, material wealth, is a bad thing, and that it would be better if we equalized or went as far in that direction as we could the uh, material possessions of individual people. But The problem with that is that no two people who have ever lived have been precisely alike. So why should we expect that what they contribute to the marketplace and how other people value that in the marketplace uh, should be the same? I mean, we're different in terms of the talents that we have. I mean, if I tried to uh, be a professional basketball player, I think my income from that would be always be drastically lower than fill in the blank famous basketball player of today. We're different in terms of the talents we have, the uh, willingness to work. Some people work long hours, hard. They think hard as well as work hard. And that's sometimes reflected, often reflected in the incomes they earn. And we're different in terms of our savings. If we equalized everybody tonight, materially speaking, we'd have inequality again by noon tomorrow because some people would save it and some people would spend it. So it's illusory to think that a people who are not the same who are very different in so many ways, would somehow create uh, equal incomes in the marketplace. Larry, what do you see as the biggest pushback to that as far as the conversations you've had, especially on very deep and, and obviously with a religious yeah. spin onto it? Well, I think probably the biggest pushback would be, and it stems from a misunderstanding, would be that, hey, the problem is the system is rigged. And some people get unfair advantages, and they work the politicians to get special benefits at the expense of other people. And I'm the first to say I'm against that, too. That's not uh, freedom and free markets. That actually looks a lot more like socialism, where you have concentrated power in the hands of politicians, and then they choose to bestow that uh, power on their favored friends. I mean, I'm against that, too. So that's a legitimate response. But if you think that the answer is to adopt socialism, you're only going to compound the problem because that's the most corrupt system known to man. Lord Acton told us power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more you concentrate power in the hands of mortals, no matter what the expressed intentions may be, uh, the more mischief and difficulties and impoverishment you're going to have. So that would be probably the number one pushback. Close behind it would be. There's a sense out there, always has been among human beings, that whatever the cause, people should still be equal. One guy shouldn't have more than another. And uh, when you hear that, you really have to, I think the best response is to raise questions, to ask the person, why should someone who doesn't utilize his talents fully 
versus another who does? Or why should one person who doesn't save and invest versus another who does? You know, on down the line of all the differences that define us, why should uh, all those people be precisely the same in terms of what they earn? What about consumers? Don't they bestow your income by choosing to buy or not to buy based upon what you've offered them? It's a fascinating question because I think there's lots of emotion that surrounds it. And I believe the emotion, I haven't necessarily thought through this well enough, but how do you see the relationship between like altruism and self-interest? Because there's this draw for those that have to give to the have-nots and those that don't have are the recipients and somehow that makes them their situation better. But there's also a natural kind of self-interest in everybody, right? And it's kind of wired within us for self-preservation first and foremost. How do you understand or characterize that relationship between altruism and self-interest? Well, self-interest, I thank God every day that we are self-interested. If we were purely altruistic, if nobody thought of themselves and only thought about others, well, then you would quite frequently leave yourself in a position in which you can't help others because you've ignored number one. You haven't uh, provided for yourself. You haven't used your own talents fully. You're not out there creating wealth as uh, you and your unique abilities are best able to do. So if you're not doing that, how can you help others? Self-interest is, by its very nature, a constructive motivation. It's only when it goes to the point of somebody ignoring the rights of others and takes the form of, say, theft or deception or fraud that self-interest crosses the line and becomes harmful to other people. But otherwise, it's the most important motivation in explaining the production of this planet. I mean, think of the guy in Brazil who's growing coffee. He's not doing that because he's thinking of you. He's not thinking, oh, my gosh, I must sacrifice and work long hours so that Larry has coffee up there in uh, Noonan, Georgia. No, he's doing it because there's something in it for him. But along the way, because of that self-interest, I get coffee. Altruism, I've seen it used in different ways. Sometimes it's meant to mean simply caring for another person and choosing to help them. Other times, it seems to be used in terms of the desire to harm to yourself because that makes you feel better. In the process of harming yourself, give your possessions to somebody else. So serve someone else, but be a doormat in the process. I think that's the most destructive form of it. I never denigrate the personal choice of engaging in charitable activity. I think it's a fine motive when it comes from the heart. When it goes awry, is when some politician comes along and says, I'm going to make you give. In fact, I'm going to take it from you and give it on your behalf. That's not charity at all. And you really don't accomplish much. The person that you're taking it from in the end is not going to be a better person because of it any more than if you take somebody to church at gunpoint, that that person is going to end up being more religious. Well, segueing into the religious topic, I know that that is kind of the framework in which you've written your latest book, Rendering Unto Caesar, was Jesus a Socialist. First off, what motivated you to pursue that type of work, wrapping in the religious context to it? And what did you hope to achieve with being able to get the message across? Well, as I explained in the book, I've heard this idea for 50 years that Jesus would be sympathetic to socialism. And uh, just my understanding of history and of Christianity always made me wonder about that. I couldn't square it. Everywhere I looked around the world, I saw socialist regimes being the most oppressive, the ones that uh, utilize force, the ones that impoverish their people. And I thought, 
how could it be that a man who said even the most important choice you have to make, whether or not to accept him, is going to be a matter of free will? How could that same man, but when it comes to everything else, we're going to take it from you and spend it better than you can? That, I just couldn't square that. And then when I actually started reading the New Testament in great detail, which I've done now multiple times over decades, and then applying what I know as an economist and historian, it just screamed at me that this is a myth that needs to be answered. Too many people falsely believe it. Every time I look throughout the New Testament, every word that Jesus uttered, I find endorsement of things like personal choice, private property, voluntary contract, even supply and demand. So I thought this needs to be rebutted in a way that it appeals to a broad lay audience. This is not a book for theologians, although I hope they read it too, but it's for anybody who's interested in history, the facts, and what Jesus actually said. What's the response been like? Like, What are the primary, I would say, takeaways and the things people are learning that may not have an understanding of economics, especially the organization that you've done an incredible job running, Foundation for Economic Education? Without that, like, what have you seen the response from those types of individuals? I think there's been a hunger out there. And the fact that uh, there's also the book is a very unique there's been a rush for it. Uh, In fact, Amazon's already sold out, but that'll be remedied here uh, shortly. I hear a lot of people saying, and I've done media interviews like crazy just since the release of the book on Monday, and I get a lot of this. People say, wow, I always thought the story of the Good Samaritan was a case for the welfare state. But as I point out in the book, what made the Samaritan good was the fact that he chose to help the man in need of his own free will and with his own resources. He didn't tell the man, well, go call your social worker or let's get a government program for you. If he did, we'd call him the good-for-nothing Samaritan. (laughs) And then a lot of people are amazed to learn about the parable of the talents. No socialist could tell this the way Jesus did. Jesus talks about three guys whom a wealthy man trusts a big portion of his wealth with as he leaves for a time. And he says, when I come back, I'll ask each of you what you've done with it. And when he comes back, Again, told by Jesus himself, he asked the first man, what'd you do with what I trusted you with? And the man said, oh, you'll be happy with me. I buried it, and I have just as much for you as you trusted me with. And in the parable, Jesus criticizes that man. What? You just didn't magnify it in any way? And then he asked the second guy, what'd you do? And he said, oh, you'll love uh, what I did. I doubled or tripled your wealth. Jesus praises him. And he says, the third guy, what'd you do? The third guy says, I did even better than that. Well, he's the one that Jesus praises the most. And in fact, in the parable, he takes the money from the first guy and And gives it to the the third guy. Yeah, because he knows how to create wealth. So I've had a lot of surprised listeners when they hear that. How do you associate that with what Jesus was referring to? Because a talent at that time was money, right? There's a way in which money was weighed, right? Yes. Today, obviously, the word talent, right, is representative, you know, gifts, the circumstances we were born in, training, natural abilities, et cetera. How do you equate that to those who are gifted with something and multiply that versus those who are gifted with something that don't do anything with it? Oh, I think the same analogy would apply. Whatever your gifts may be, whatever your talents in a sense of personal traits and abilities may be. I think we are all called to make the best of them, to be the best person you can be, to magnify your ability to make other people happy through the wealth that you create. Example that you said, I think that's all perfectly compatible with uh, what Jesus would say. 
He was approached in the book of Luke by a man who wanted him to redistribute income. The man says to Jesus in Luke 12, 13 through 15, he says, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. In other words, hey, you know, I think I didn't get a fair shake. Can you maybe equalize us or give me more? And Jesus did not say, as a socialist might, oh my gosh, you didn't get as much as the other guy? That, we'll have to fix that. Instead, he immediately rebukes the man for his envy. And he makes a statement that I wish every politician would make, and that is, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? That's a powerful rejoinder against envy and covetousness, as well as the, the redistributive apparatus of the compulsory welfare state, in my view. Larry, what's the best way to get the book? And it's a short, it's a really short read. This isn't kind of a, a novel type of book. Yeah, it's 160 pages. So you can read it, uh, most people, in an evening. It's available on Amazon, also the website of Barnes & Noble, our organization, the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE.org. It's available there in the bookstore. And I think other places now are probably uh, more and more picking it up all the time. It was just released on Monday, but I'm glad to say that it's going very, very well. So I am prepared to ask this question, so I'm hoping it comes out right. If someone read this, like, what's the best case scenario? How would our current environment be different if people read this, understood the message, and applied it? I think people, if they did that, if they read it and thought about it and acted upon it, I think they would say, wow, I need to spend less time lobbying politicians to either get me something or give someone else something and actually get involved myself in the lives of those who presently are in need. I need to uh, put my money where my mouth is. And, you know, socialists don't do that. There have been books written about this. And those who claim Jesus was a socialist, they look to the state to solve problems. And all you have to do is look at the federal income tax and you realize uh, a federal budget. Look at the line for donations. It almost says peanuts. <laughs> so not even socialists who think that the government is the best way to solve problems, not even they will write out a check to the government for more than they're forced to give. If they give anything, it too is to voluntary private organizations close to home that solve problems so much better than politicians do from Washington. Well, right now, there definitely is an interesting, I would say, spirit of things, right, in our country. Obviously, there was tremendous disruption. There was, you know, some economic consequences that are, that are being felt. There were some, you know, other things from a social standpoint with George Floyd and, you know, there's other major issues arising. The idea of inequality, I think, is a variable within it all. And I see definitely a misclassification, mischaracterization of the idea of inequality. As you look at your book and the experience that you've had, what are some of the maybe experiences that you've had where someone is like, I got it. Okay. They felt one way. They believe one way. They had this high praise for altruism and equality but then suddenly started to understand, you know, principles, natural laws of, of the universe, right? And, and understand, you know, the message that you get across in your book. And there's obviously a number of other books that articulate some very similar values and principles. I think when you put things back on the individual, when you say, hey, you know, you're spending a lot of time expecting politicians to do such and such. Why aren't you doing that yourself? It, these are matters of the heart and of personal choice. That's really what determines uh, where you are, not what you say. And so a lot of people, if they're introspective enough 
and they look inward and ask themselves, am I really doing myself what I want to foist on other people through the political process? That's been an aha moment. And then other times I see them happening when uh, you address particular issues that they've been especially misinformed on. I do a talk and have written about uh, the Great Depression. And a lot of people think, uh, because they've been taught this, that, oh, the Great Depression, that was the fault of capitalism and free markets, and Franklin Roosevelt saved us from it. Well, then when you walk them through why that's faulty from the word go, it's embarrassingly faulty. Then it's like, wow, why didn't I learn that? How come I didn't hear that? My teachers never told me there was another side. So issue by issue sometimes can be in a very effective way to produce those aha moments. I'm convinced that most people who may lean in a socialist direction don't lean that way because they've thoroughly read the case for free markets. They've only heard the emotional bumper stickers of the left in most cases. And then when you present them for the first time with what the other side uh, is arguing, real facts, logic, history, and so forth, it's like a, what's the word, an epiphany. Well, Larry, this has been a great conversation. I love our conversations and you think so deeply, but also you have just a, a humility about you that I would say resonates really well. And so thank you for sharing your wisdom. And even though you're semi-retired, you continue to write and share it. So thank you for that. What are the best ways for people to connect with you? People can go to my public figure Facebook page where I use my name, Lawrence Reed. I don't have the initial there of W, just Lawrence Reed. Or they can uh, contact me through fee, F-E-E dot org. Or they can email me at lreed, L-R-E-E-D at fee.org. Well, Larry, thank you again. We'll have to do this again. Hopefully it doesn't take uh, 18 months to do it, but thank you for the book. And we're going to post all of the links in case you're not able to write anything down. We'll post everything in the show notes. So make sure you check those out at thewillstandard.com. Thank you again. It was really enjoyable. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to The Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh.